Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Hello and welcome back to our Dangerous Faith series. We are journeying through the book of Acts in our Bibles, through the lens of the persecuted church. And we're doing this because we can take great encouragement from looking back at how God, God was there for those first believers in their times of trial and challenge. And also we can look forward to the testimonies of modern Christians who are standing in the face of persecution today. So if you're joining us the first time today, we've got a number of aims for this series that are on the screen now. We want to get a better understanding of the birth of the early church and how the gospel spread, even though it was under persecution. We want to deepen our own confidence in God's love and presence during our own times of suffering. And we want to grow in our awareness of the persecuted church and stand with them in the place of prayer. So let's watch the next video in this series and we'll come back to explore it in a moment. The book of Acts has a very bizarre beginning. Jesus disappears into thin air. And you think, well, what kind of a good idea can it be when Jesus gives the disciples their greatest task, which is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and then disappear into thin air? No wonder they kept on looking up at the sky, because they were alone with a world to win. And they might have felt a little deserted, And yet, it's not desertion, it's design. It's Jesus' way of saying, now you go out and do the impossible things I did. I saw this at work through a Christian lady in China I once met. We called her Auntie Mabel. She was a doctor in Beijing, very well known for her bright Christian witness. But when the communists came to power in 1949, everything changed for her. She was evicted from her large house and she was forced to live in her garden shed. And because she was well known as a Christian, she was targeted. She was stripped of her doctor's post and she shoveled sand in a work gang. That's what they asked her to do. And then when the Cultural Revolution got going, the teenagers, the Red Guards, were given power over her and they came to her, they beat her up, they paraded her in the streets and they put this large sign outside her house saying no one must speak to her because she has distributed Bibles and that's not allowed in the new China, that's anti-Mao. And so she was shunned, no one would talk to her and this was harder for her than being beaten and being put into jail. She said, I descended into hell. And she said, one night I came back, I went into my little kitchen, and she said, I've had enough. I'm an old lady. I've had a good life. God won't mind me coming to heaven early. So she took a large knife, and she held it over her wrist, and she said one last prayer before she brought it down. She said, Lord, if this is wrong, help me. Well, she never brought the knife down. She put it away, she burst into tears, and she endured another eight years of beatings and isolation and and victimization. 
She said, no angel appeared and whipped the knife out of my hand. She said, somehow, God gave me the strength to go on, but I never knew how. And she said, all the time, I was always asking Jesus to make an appearance to me, come to me, put your arms around me. Why must you be so invisible? She cried. And many years later, she knew why. Because in the late 70s, after Mao had died, China began to put the excesses of the Cultural Revolution behind it and the Red Guards were disbanded. But Mabel wasn't restored to her house. But even in her little garden shed, she began to receive a stream of visitors. And many of these visitors were very high-ranking members of the Communist Party. She recognised their faces from the newspaper. And even more astonishingly, they all had one question. Do you have any Bibles? And she was saying, why are you coming to me out of all the people in Beijing? Why would you come to my house? And they would say, well, we remember during the Cultural Revolution, there was a large sign outside your house that contained all your crimes. And one of them said that you were guilty of distributing Bibles. I'm just here on the off chance that you might have some left. And so that sign that caused her such misery launched her ministry. It had kept people away from her during the Cultural Revolution, but after she had endured, it drew them. And Mabel was able to contact Open Doors, we smuggled Bibles to her, and she became the first distributor of scriptures in China's capital again. She was a vital supplier And even today, there are high-ranking members of the Communist Party who owe their faith to her endurance. And she said, well, it's been nice to know why. It helps my faith. But she said, it was hard. Every day was hard. And she said, I never seem to get that prayer answered of, Lord, please appear for me. But she said, I see that this was for the best because she said, if Jesus had come to me, I wouldn't have done the impossible. He would have overshadowed me. He would have controlled me. But in not being there, he was giving me the space to do the impossible through his power. That's not desertion, she said. It's generosity. You will receive power, he said, after I'm gone up to heaven. That's what he said to the disciples. So the cloud that hides him from our sight is not a disaster. It's design. Sure, the disciples must have felt bereft. But Jesus is really saying, I'll send the Spirit and we will do all these things together through each of you in a new and beautiful way. So we get invited to be his partners of the theologians, say, co-creators. He wants us to do what he did to an even greater degree. Jesus ascends to give us the space to do the impossible for him. And through him. Now that means space to fail, space to struggle, space to be unsure. And the characters in the book of Acts, they have their doubts and their disagreements and their struggles. And if Jesus had stayed, there would have been none of that. When they have to decide in Acts 15 in the council, should the Gentiles become Christians or not, or be allowed to become Christians or not, Jesus would just have appeared and told them what to do. But he didn't. He let them struggle. He let them figure it out. Or when Paul 
was having his disagreement about who to take on a trip with him, and Barnabas and he actually had such a violent disagreement, they went their separate ways. Jesus would have sorted that out if he'd stayed behind. He would just have said, Paul, take so-and-so. Barnabas, you, you, you just deal with it. And yet that didn't happen. They got the power to decide. They got the power to, in a sense, create the will of God and live out the gospel in a much more intimate way. So even our failures, even our difficulties, even our struggles become the means in which God spreads the gospel through us, just like Mabel. That horrible sign outside her house, it was a mark of humiliation. But actually, because she endured in the power of Christ, it was the means of her wonderful ministry. And that's a lady who did that marvelous job for, for Christ in her 80s. So we're never too old to do a remarkable work for Christ. When Mabel looked back over her life, she can say, I did that. I endured with Christ's help and brought Bibles to Beijing. Mabel thought that terrible notice board was the end of her, and it was in a sense but only so that God could make another beginning through her. And a cloud still hides Jesus from our eyes for all of us so that we get the same opportunity to do the impossible in his power. It's a risk. What a plan. But what an opportunity. Well, I hope you enjoyed that video. To give some context to what Ron was talking about, uh, this is uh, right at the beginning of the book of Acts and Jesus has appeared to his disciples following his resurrection after his crucifixion. And he's appeared to them and he's encouraged them and he's comforted them and he's appeared to many other people as well who testified to his resurrection. And then we see he has this last uh, encounter with them on the Mount of Olives, which is a, a place uh, just outside east of Jerusalem. And he meets with them to commission them. And he promises to release his presence in the form of his Holy Spirit to empower them to take the good news of the gospel, that all people can be reconciled back to God's love. And he commissions them on the Mount of Olives. And then something extraordinary happens. Let's read from Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instruction to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after this, he was taken up before their eyes, 
sorry, before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So if we can picture the scene, the disciples must have been overjoyed that Jesus had returned, come back from the dead, resurrected. He'd spent time with them, he'd eaten with them, he'd encouraged them, he comforted them, and they must have been so pleased that he was back with them again. They were probably so excited about all the things they were then going to do together. And then on the Mount of Olives, he commissions them to be his witnesses. He promises the outpouring of a spirit to bless them and empower them. And then he's taken up before their very eyes and hidden by a cloud. And when you read this, you think, what does that even mean? What does taken up before their very eyes even mean? Well, Bible scholars give this this event a posh word. They call it the ascension. But Luke just uses a simple word that means he was lifted up. And this word appears in other places throughout your New Testament. It means to lift up your eyes. It means to lift up your voice. It even means to lift up a sail. And so Luke says Jesus literally was lifted up before them. And you can imagine Luke saying to the disciples when he was recording these writings, saying, just, just tell me again what happened. He, he went up and the disciples must have said he just he went up. He was, he was lifted up. Now, we don't know, do we, whether Jesus sort of floated up or to continue Jake's Avengers theme from last week, whether he kind of took off like Iron Man and said, yes, I can fly. We just don't know. Luke just records that he was lifted up and he went so up that eventually a cloud hid him from their sight. And I can imagine the disciples just standing there, open mouthed, looking up into the sky amazed that Jesus not only could do so many other miracles, he could seemingly also fly up into heaven. And you can imagine them thinking, you know, do we just stand watching? Is this some sort of Jesus flying display? Will he come back down again? And they're gazing into the sky and these two mysterious men in white appear alongside them and say, why are you still looking into the sky? This very Jesus who's gone up one day will come back down again. But in the meantime, you've got a job to do. You've been commissioned to be witnesses. We can only assume these two men in white were angels. Luke doesn't say anything more about them, but they were there and they kind of ushered and moved the disciples from sky staring into the mission that Jesus had given them. Before I became a Christian, a follower of Jesus, I think I used to think all Christians were sort of sky starers. They were just people who kind of looked up at some sort of invisible God that maybe or maybe wasn't there and their head was in the clouds and their feet weren't on the ground and in fact they were very a very little sort of earthly value they kind of disconnected themselves from reality since becoming a follower of Jesus myself back in the late 80s I think the accusation has been leveled at me a number of times you've got your head in the clouds you know you're just imagining something up there that isn't there and I think to a degree Am I a sky starer? Well, I think to some degree, every believer is called to be a sky starer. I once heard a friend say, the good news of Jesus can be described as three different C's. 
We can show them in the form of this triangle here on this diagram. The first C at the top of the triangle is Christ. The second C is his cause. And the third C is his church. And the good news of the gospel comprises of Christ, his cause, and his church. And when we choose to follow Jesus, these three things come together in our lives. We follow Christ, we become part of the church, and we carry and commit to his cause. So in a sense, we all look up to Jesus. We all, we all become sky starers. We all stare heavenward. It says uh, in Colossians 3, 2, the Apostle Paul says, set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. So we live in anticipation of this Jesus who went up, coming back down again and returning to us. We lift up our eyes, we lift up our voices in prayer and worship. We live in a sense of lifted up expectation that Jesus will return. And we look into each other. We develop a loving, accepting, nurturing church family where we can encourage and serve one another. And we look out to the world around us. We carry this gospel of good news, the good news that everyone can be reconciled back to the love of the Father. And we demonstrate this love with actions and words. And right from the birth of the church, right here in the book of Acts, chapter 1, we see Christ, his cause, and his church birthed simultaneously. These first disciples are ushered from skystarers into forming a church community. And then they carry the gospel message out to the people around them. The good news that Jesus has come back and everyone can be reconciled back to a loving father. But the disciples, they face this challenge seemingly alone. As Ron said in the video, he gives them the greatest task and disappears into thin air. But perhaps, perhaps as Ron said, the disciples weren't deserted. Perhaps there was a design in what Jesus chose to do when he left them. In the video, we heard the story of Mabel, didn't we? This, this incredible woman of God who was victimized and bullied uh, and abused and, and, and forced into isolation by a sign placed outside her house that said no one could talk to her because of the crimes she committed. And she cried out, Lord, why must you be so invisible? She said that Jesus never appeared to her in the way that she wanted him to. He never kind of physically manifested to comfort her. Yet she was supernaturally encouraged. She was given the strength to continue through eight years of isolation and trauma and abuse. And Ron said, out of those years of misery came an extraordinary ministry to the people of China. The very sign that had convicted her, that stood outside her house, that said this woman has basically been convicted of distributing Bibles, don't speak to her, was the very sign that drew people to her some eight years later. They wanted one of the Bibles she was accused of distributing. I can't begin to imagine how Mabel must have suffered during those times. Yet in the midst of that, she managed to cry out to God and God met her in that time. He gave her strength to continue. We're in the midst of hardship, aren't we? We're in the midst of suffering at the moment. And we're seemingly having to come to terms with a God who may seem absent in our nation. We've all had times, haven't we, when we want God just to appear, just to turn up and to do something, to fix 
whatever is wrong. We want him to stop being hidden from our sight. I've always been fascinated by a verse in Proverbs. Proverbs 25 says this, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. And it sounds like when you first read this verse that perhaps God's into some sort of game of hide and seek with us, or maybe a treasure hunt. I don't think God deliberately hides things from us. I think the writer of Proverbs is touching into something deeper here. The word glory means magnificent uh, in this particular verse. It's splendor, it's, it's weight, it's, it's majesty, the glory of God. And so the writer here in, in Proverbs tells us a portion of who God is, there's a portion of his glory that is hidden from us at this point in time. And also, there's a portion of glory, of splendor, of majesty for those who search out God in his hidden nature. A large portion of who God is, is unfathomable to you and I in this lifetime. The Apostle Paul said to try and see God in our present form is to try and look through a, a, a darkened glass, a dim glass to try, and, to try and see him. God is obscured and mostly hidden. But he said there will be a time in the future that you and I will get to see God face to face. It's frustrating, isn't it, in a time of technology that we live in when we can just Google anything. We can see an image of anything instantly on our phones, on our computers. We can't see God in the same way. God hides himself from us in his glory. The only representation we have of God, the only image, the only model we have is the Jesus we find in the scriptures. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But as we trust in this hidden God, as we, as we search him out, as we seek him, as we seek to follow him in his hiddenness, there is splendor and glory revealed to us. We get glimpses of the hidden God. Last year in a talk called Light in the Darkness, I talked about how the sun is always shining, even though the clouds obscure it. The sun never goes out. Even at night, the sun doesn't turn off and turn on again. The sun is always brightly shining. It's just we occasionally can't see it. It's obscured from our view. And God is like that. In the heavenly realm, God is shining so brightly. All of the spiritual realm can see God shining brightly in his majesty and his glory. Yet you and I, we live at the moment under a cloud layer. We don't we get glimpses of God. We don't get to see the full majesty of who God is. A lot is hidden from our sight. And at the moment, even more I think, seems hidden from our sight. Any certainty of a safe future away from COVID at the moment seems obscured from us. It's something that we can't quite discern or, or tell when it, that will be. Society is mostly hidden from us. Our families, our friends, our neighbours, we're hidden behind masks, we're hidden behind closed doors. And even the church itself seems hidden. I, You can see me, but I... I can't see you. As I look into this lens, I can see you in faith and I can imagine us connecting, but you're hidden from me during this time. So what can we do? What can we do in a time of hiddenness? Well, firstly, I think we can take great encouragement from Mabel's story, that in her desperate times, God was there for her. And even though she couldn't see 
in that time when God was hidden, there was a greater purpose being played out that came to pass years later when people flocked to her door to hear the good news of the gospel. You can pray for yourself just as Mabel did. You can pray for God to strengthen you, to come to you, to encourage you. God may not manifest himself physically in your space, but he will be there by his spirit and he will encourage you. He will comfort you. He will strengthen you just as he did for Mabel. Ask him this week for a fresh infilling of his Holy Spirit. Jesus said, how much more will God the Father give the Spirit to those who ask? So keep asking to be filled with the Spirit of God. And if you've never prayed before and you're watching this, you're thinking, I don't know how to pray. One of the simplest prayers that you can pray is Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. And pray that prayer. Invite his help into your life. Let his spirit fill you and touch you. And maybe this week you can ask God, how can I continue to live out those three C's of the gospel? How can I continue looking up to you in worship and prayer? How can I continue looking into my church family, supporting and encouraging people I know who may be lonely? Maybe pray and ask God to give you a word for somebody, a word of encouragement. Text them, phone them, say, I felt God said this for you as a blessing for you. And how can I take the cause of Christ out to neighbours and people around me? Maybe on a walk, you can just be praying for the people you pass uh, as you walk. You know, pray for those people that you're passing. Give them a smile. Pray blessing and health and safety upon them. A cloud still hides Jesus from our eyes. And this time of hiddenness, even more so. But God is present and God is working. And we know by his spirit, he's all around us and his kingdom is coming and his will is being carried out. And you can pray for the persecuted church. You can pray for your brothers and sisters who are suffering persecution across the world because of their faith. There's lots of resources on, on, on websites like Open Doors or Release International where you can get prayer updates and you can pray specifically for specific situations in different parts of the world today. Many places people who worship Christ do not have the freedoms that we have. And so use your freedom to stand for them, to stand in the gap for them, pray for them, pray blessing and encouragement and support on them. I'm sure Mabel's life has been undergirded by prayer from countries around the world. Ask God to pour out the Holy Spirit to give those people the patience to endure whatever it is they're suffering. And lastly, as I said in our coffee chat, this week when Jake and I were chatting, we can trust God. We can trust that even though God is a hidden God, God is not an absent God. He's still working. He's still present by his spirit. He's still all around us. It says in the book of Acts later on, Paul says, closer to each one of you, closer than you think, God is right there with you. Even when you feel like he's not there, God is close to each one of us. And we can trust in God this week that he's working. Just do what you can do. Just do what you can do and trust and lean into him this week. Lean into his love, the fact that he's, he's there, he's working. Trust him. Because he's hidden doesn't mean he's absent. So let's just pray. Let's just pray and ask God to continue to strengthen us and uh, fill us with his spirit this week and give us opportunities to live out the mission and the cause of the gospel. Lord God, 
we know you've given the space in our lives, God, to do the impossible. God, you step back. Jesus, you ascended into heaven to make space for us to become your hands and feet upon the earth. And we thank you, God, we have the opportunity to do that, Lord. And Lord, we want to say again today, we trust you. Even though you're hidden from our sight, even though we look through a glass darkly, God, we know you're there. We know you're present. We know you're faithful. And we know you'll never leave us. So this week, God, as we continue feeling like you're, you're hidden and other things are hidden from us, God, would you manifest your love in our lives in a really powerful way? Every person watching this, I pray for a fresh deposit of your love and your encouragement. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.